0: to the 418 episode of Constructed Christmas. I am your host Mason, joined by my co-host Abe. Abe,
1: I've got to ask you, which would you prefer to have? A jet ski or a motorcycle? A jet ski, probably, because I think they're more expensive than motorcycles and I would just sell it.
0: Alright, well because no my gift to you means nothing.
1: Spencer, what about you,
0: my other co-host of the show? Jet ski or motorcycle?
2: I don't know if podcast listeners know this, but I drove a motorcycle from the age of 18 to 21 That's how I got to all my magic events for a long time. I drove a 250 Rebel and a 750 Shadow. I have an agreement with my wife that I'm not allowed to buy another motorcycle until my kids are much older. But she has agreed to let me buy a Miata as soon as my kids are in high school or any other sportster. So uh, I pick a motorcycle every day of the week. One of the reasons that I liked it so much is I'm a total cowboy like I rode horses growing up and riding a, a cruising style motorcycle really reminded me of like riding a horse in a lot of ways.
0: Now we can cruise on over to the Always Improving section of the show because that's the main topic. I'm going all about power rankings for Pioneer later in the show, but we do need to do always improving. is the main point of the show. And I am up first this week for Always Improving. This week's Always Improving moment really comes a lot from going in and checking out kind of what everyone else is doing and making sure that I'm not like falling behind on how they're playing for me. So I've talked talk before about how maybe it was two or three weeks ago. It's hard to say. Time's weird, but I was looking at other stuff, seeing what people are doing, making sure that everything is the same, but I really wanted to go and check in and see if people are planning to attack four color, uh, specifically in modern, because one of the things that is a problem for beating four color is that it is, really hard to actually sideboard specific cards for the deck. You can't bring in like, like Torpor Orb doesn't solve the problem. Blood Moon doesn't even solve the problem, really. These are kind of like stop gaps, which is something that is pretty unique to this deck in modern, where typically, you know, there's some card you can play that at least makes the matchup reasonably more tenable. You know, maybe it's not a winnable matchup, but it's much better. Really for a four color, it kind of takes strategy shifts, and like building your deck dramatically differently or playing a different style of deck altogether. So I kind of went through, double checked everything and made sure that uh, all that stuff was there. I think it's really important to be doing this because if you're not like making sure that you're up to date on how people are sideboarding for you and you only look at main decks, which is kind of a trap I low key fell into. I was looking at sideboards, but not really thinking about what they're going to be doing for me. Uh, you're just going to lose a bunch of games because you only really play. You know at most half your games against their game one configuration right and you're more likely to play only a third of your games versus that so important to know kind of how their deck is built all together
2: can i challenge you on something really quick sure though? while what you said is uh conceptually true i find that when i'm playing a deck like four color in modern and what, what i mean by this is something that's so substantially the best deck that it's, it's overwhelming. We talked about it a few weeks ago where Four Color is like on the level of like green-white tokens wasn't standard for those three months that it was dominant, right? It, that's how good this deck is. Um, I find that when your deck is that good, that actually you do play against a lot of main deck configuration. Like a lot of the things that they're trying to do are their main deck. They're playing this deck because they believe they have a good matchup. Now, if they believe they don't have a good matchup, you're probably playing against like six plus sideboard cards. But I'm kind of curious if that was also something that you thought about.
0: It's a little awkward in a modern because really there's just kind of this squeeze where decks that are really good against four color have a lot of problems with everything else that's really going on that can really compete alongside four color. So it creates this awkward dynamic where people are kind of priced into almost accepting having not a great four color matchup. And just having to do a bunch of sideboard stuff or hoping that like, you know, the matchups like maybe favored for color, but it's not overwhelming. So, you know, and they can kind of power through and hope to win, you know, win the basically a bad matchup, which you have to do anyways normally to win a tournament. You know, you can't you can't win a tournament without probably beating at least one bad matchup. So I think things like Hammer Time, Region Regen, stuff like that in Living End. Put a lot of pressure on people and make it hard for them to try really different main deck configurations in order to beat something like four color. Because you know, turn one Ragavan, turn one Esper Sentinel, turn one Cigardisade a Mim is just like such a potentially backbreaking start, and it puts you in such a different direction than what four colors pulls you to answer. So, uh, I think that we see that sometimes, but there's are often short bursts and also on Modo specifically. And while I look at Modo data, I really try to build my decks for in paper stuff because. It is often very, very different for Paper and moto. Just a lot of incentives are different as well. So that was uh, all I have to say on that. Abe, what was your always improving moment this week?
1: Yeah, my always improving moment this week was spending time working on specifically the Black, Red, Midrange deck and Pioneer and figuring out what I want to be accomplishing in the Arclight Phoenix matchup against a couple of different configurations of the deck that are floating around. There's not really quite a consensus on that deck as is and so a lot of the times you know if you get a sideboard guide or something from someone or you you think about the matchup it's hard to know exactly how it is you're supposed to prepare for each iteration of the kind of sideboard threats they have you know what the numbers you want are and so i spent a good amount of time focus testing against various builds that i had not yet played against but were starting to become more popular and then using that to kind of paint an idea of what it is I want to accomplish the cards that I need to have to make sure I'm covered in these kinds of nuanced matchups where a lot can be can be different from game to game and from decklist to decklist between that and then also making changes to kind of the stock red blacklist that I've been showing on Magic Online to adapt to kind of what I predict some of the paper metagame around me. To be, and maybe, you know, what people might be starting to do in paper based on kind of the flavor of the week. I know there was like the Metal War Colossus decks that people were talking about that were really cool. They were hot on Twitter for a couple days, making sure I'm covered in all of the weird matches with Pioneer and keeping on top of that while also keeping up with like the nitty gritty of, of the top tier. Both those things were kind of hard to balance with each other, but doing them both really helped me out this weekend when I was playing.
2: Can I ask what the conclusion was that you came to?
1: Yeah, so the big thing that was different for me this week was that previously in playing red black, a lot of lists weren't playing Young Pyromancer or was kind of it was kind of ambiguous whether or not they had them in their sideboard, and oftentimes in the matchup Bonecrusher Giant is one of your biggest liabilities because it's not very efficient at exchanging with anything and the creature itself is not very good against their creatures as well as their count on like thing in the ice their trespass count their iteration count things like that can change a lot about the texture of the matchup overall your game plan is always to try to make sure that you are in a position to not give them time to use all the cards they're going to get ahead of you in treasure cruise but in this case making sure that i was able to have enough answers to something like an early on pyromancer how to balance that with the other threats that i wanted to play making sure i had answers to you know multiple kinds of game plans one that were more Aggressive on trespass, or were more just about trying to cruise me, ones that were more fixated on, you know, winning the game with Jace in the long games. Making sure that I was prepared for all the different types of games and understanding how I need to adapt as a red-black player in the hands I'm looking at keeping, the hands I'm looking at mulliganing, the overall game plan I'm taking-that was really uh, really a focus for me.
2: One of the things that I noticed doing the power today is kind of what you said. I was surprised by the amount of Phoenix, and we'll get into that later. But not only that, but I, you know, because of the way that Goldfish does lists, you have to, like, when you're making power rankings for a show like this, you have to click into a lot of lists because it's kind of ambiguous what they actually are. And the number one thing that I noticed is holy crap, there is not a clear way to build this blue red Phoenix deck, even a little bit. The only thing that is true is that you're going to play Treasure Cruise, you're going to play Phoenix. And you're going to play Ledger Shredder. And that is it. That's it. Everything else is on the table.
0: Uh, we'll get more of that here in a little bit. But Spencer, what was your always moment?
2: I was pretty sick this last week. I'm not sure, you know, what I ate, but don't eat what I ate. That being said, I had some time to practice both Magic and Smash. And one of the reasons that I was practicing Smash was actually because I wanted to start focusing more on Magic. You might be like, Spencer, why does that matter? And it is because I now have a Smash podcast, uh, smash through with former co host of the show, Matt Klain, that we do once a month. And I needed to pick a main. Like, it's something that was really important to me. And I, I did finally pick that I'm going to main Greninja. I picked it for a lot of reasons that you can find out on another show. But the reason that's important is actually because of the way that I believe competitive endeavors work. By having this thing looming over me in Smash, I was not able to dedicate the time that I needed to Magic. By picking a main, it means that I can stop playing, like, a bunch of other characters that I don't need to play. I can now just play Wolf and Greninja as my two characters, which saves you a lot of time. And the reason that that's important is because I talked about Mason, to Mason about this before the show, but I'll just mention it now. I only get a play about four to six RCQs per season. Whereas, you know, back in the PPTQ days, I could play 20. I was seeding in the finals of tons of RCQs because I just knew that I would have a chance to qualify, right? And that won't be the case anymore. And because of that, I need to take Magic a lot more seriously if I want to both do the coverage that I plan on doing for Game Grid and go to the RC. This week, after solidifying a main in Smash, today I messaged some people and I have started a local Utah constructive Criticism testing team that I'll use my funds from constructive Criticism to support. The reason that I want to do this is like, I find that I do better in that type of environment where I'm surrounding myself with people that I trust. This is pretty big for me. You know, I haven't wanted to do this for a couple of years from both the pandemic where I took a break from magic to having a daughter. This is a pretty big commitment for me. And it, it goes beyond just the things that I need to do to prepare for this podcast and things that I need, need to do to prefer, prepare for a deck tech on the YouTube channel or uh, do, a, do a coaching session with people. It is much more about, it is categorically results oriented in some way. It's a pretty big commitment for somebody like me that thought that when I was going to do coverage a month ago, when I made the agreement that I was just going to give up on magic, Um, but as i was thinking about it more i decided i don't need to do that i just need to change my approach i buckled down in smash which is something that's important to me so that i could buckle down in magic a lot more seriously
0: that's awesome yeah it's uh important to make sure that the things you are doing to succeed uh in magic line up with your other stuff that you might have around life. And that might be like work, might be relationship. It might be, you know, they might be smash, right? Like, uh, but it's important to like, have those sort of things line up and, uh, you know, kind of work together because it's so much easier.
2: The thing that really solidified this for me, I was listening to a podcast called Tweak Talks. It's a smash podcast by one of the best smash players in the world. And my favorite coach in the world, his name is Charles. uh, He talked about understanding your hobbies when you're the type of I don't want to like put Mason myself and Abe in a box here but we're the type of people that like when we have a hobby that we have like we we're pretty likely to obsess over it a little bit when you're that type of personality you need to be really honest about your prioritizations and for me it was like okay I'm not going to stop playing ultimate I, I love this game but I can't play seven characters because it means that I'm not getting anything out of this game when I have to do all this stuff for Magic. Additionally, I'm going to take this away from Smash for a minute because the number of players that I'm like, hey, I'm really into TFT or I'm really into Hearthstone and Magic or I'm really into this other thing It's like, hey, in all honesty, like you've got to pick the thing that you're going to prioritize because eventually the things are going to fall. And for me, like I always prioritize my family and my job, which means that Magic is always third for me. And when that's the case, it means that, like, everything else that you do needs to fall in line.
0: That's going to be always improving. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. The show will always be free, but get to do things like the Patreon question at the end of the show. And you also get a shout out when you join the Patreon, like for Keaton and Chase, who joined the Patreon in this past week. Especially when we're want to take care of some housekeeping for this week before we dive into the main topic. Really quickly, I just want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor at Game
2: Grid Lehigh. You can check them out at gglehigh.com. I did not realize that we would be recording this on the first, so I have not adjusted the discount code. I believe it's CCMTG 10 to get 10% off your order at GG Lehigh. You can just click the link in the description. That's our reference link, affiliate link. I don't know what they're called. But honestly, like I got to spend basically the entire weekend at GG Lehigh we have players from Idaho, players from Wyoming, players from the surrounding states there. And what Jordan does there, what Joe does at GG Salt Lake, which not our sponsor, don't want to be pretend like we're sponsored by Olive Game Grid, what this franchise does for Magic in the Western states and what they're going to try to do eventually, uh, the support that they're currently showing to MTG Summit, which you haven't, if you haven't heard about it, check it out. It's in Utah. Abe and Mason, you guys should come out for it if you haven't heard about it. It's unbelievable. We are very lucky to be sponsored by the literal best place, in my opinion, especially after certain things have been bought by other places, the best game store in the Western United States at this point. I, th- I think that is how great Game Bird Lehigh is, especially for what it does for its own community. Also, guys, do we have an open coming up. We got the CCMTG open in 11 days from this recording, we're gonna have an open. It's $10 entry fee, uh, open deck lists, Pioneer on MTGO, and there are $500 in store credit to our sponsor, Gingled Lehigh Guaranteed, with scaling price for after that based upon attendance. If you're a patron of $10 or more, you get them for free. I know a lot of people told me that they're gonna enter this. Um, I'm really excited to see what we can do, the top eight will be posted to our YouTube channel with commentary. I can't wait to give out some dollar dollar bills to our community, and I'm really excited for it.
0: Yeah, it's very, very exciting and very, very soon. So if you're thinking about doing it, make sure to check it out and check out the Patreon. Uh, if that's the way you want to do it or if not, you know, you can always check out the MTG Melee page for it as well. That'll probably do it for our housekeeping. Let's move on to our main topic today, and that is... The Pioneer Mega Ranking. So, just like the Power Ranking episode, Spencer just went through, looked at all the events you could find with Top 32 Decklist for Pioneer. So, all the Challengers, all the Supers, all the showcases, everything in between for Pioneer. There were 3Ks and
2: 1Ks that were RCQs and non-RCQs and Opens, too. So, like,
0: there was a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of events here. Uh, and we're just going to talk all about Pioneer this episode. starting i the bottom of the points and working our way up. I will make the caveat here that of the decks we're going to cover, both humans and spirits have been combined into one for their respective things. So it's not humans and spirits together. So it would be mono-white humans and bant humans are one category, and mono-blue spirits and bant spirits are another. I would argue, for it's worth we'll get here later, that you could probably put bant with the normal humans, because I think they kind of play similarly. And if you do so, it swaps your place. But it's all very exciting. We're going to get go to that in a second. But let's start at the bottom.
2: Can we talk about how the points work really quick?
0: Yeah, sure. Do you want to go over that? Just really quickly, because some
2: people understand this is based upon an article that Fred Karsten did a long time ago about how you can rank decks. And so the way that we do this is we it's scaling according to quote-unquote record, which you can do pretty easily when the because Magic does Swiss pairings. So it's six points for first, five points for second, 4 for top 4, 3 for top 8, 2 for top 16, and 1 for top 32.
0: So with that in mind, the first deck up is Mono Red with 31 points. It is our lowest performer here, just barely with the next deck we'll talk about here in a second. But Mono Red is a deck that every time we talk about Pioneer on the show, we all have different thoughts on, and I always mention how it feels like the deck that is the most unrefined, despite so many people playing it and can go so many different directions. Abe, I know Spencer and I have both gone on a whole bunch about Mono Red in the past, so I'm going to let you kind of start things off here. What do you think about Mono Red and Pioneer?
1: Mono Red is so close to being so good. It is a very strong deck. It's like a a very solid choice for any weekend. But it just has some failings compared to, to other decks that are also proactive currently. It feels like the Pioneer format is, and we'll get to it, Being kind of shaken out such that there's a couple of really, really strong decks at the top that all are naturally doing things that push mono red down and mono red is kind of struggling there. But there are just so many good red cards and so many different ways to build this that I think that there's room for it to be built better and better every week and options for it to play the right set of threats. And the right set of questions for the answers of the format, but right now that mix hasn't really been found, and it's also like not able to contend with just you know the amount of fiery impulses, bone crusher giants that are being thrown around the format, and it also doesn't have a lights out matchup against anything that's really good. Yeah,
0: Spencer, what what do you kind of think about mono red? Is there anything you kind of want to say? Where or...
2: I have a pretty strong opinion about this deck. One of the things that I put in the show notes here, and I'm going to make the show notes available because I put a lot of work this week into it, available for patrons in the Discord. Monored is one of the decks rising. So Monored, if you had looked at the beginning of July, it was not a high-performing deck. It was... I don't know where I put this in the show notes, but this had the most decks ever for a Mega Rankings episode or a Power Rankings episode in the history of the show. There's a total of 38 different decks if you include just micro archetypes. It was unbelievable. Mono Red got 31 points by itself. There's no other decks included in this archetype. I think that something that Abe just said is really important. One, there are two decks that are extremely played in this format. They are Phoenix and Rakdos. If you looked at the total number of top 32s where they're not top 16s, that's the majority of Phoenix's points, for example. It got a lot of top 32s. And one of the reasons for that is like it's a solid deck. Mono Red has about a 50-50 matchup there. It on the play is very good against that deck, and it depends on the number of fiery impulses and shocks that they're playing. If they're going more controlly mid-rangey, it's really good against that deck. If they're going more low to the ground beat humans right like then it's really bad against that deck whereas it's just kind of bad against rectos and we'll get into that later i think that mono red has an interesting issue in this format which is it has so many good cards that it's it's a good deck but it is not clear how to build it and if you looked at all of the mono red lists that were mono red aggro slash prowess slash burn they're vastly different from each other. That will also be true when we get to to Phoenix, and we'll talk about that. But, like, I think that's actually a problem for a deck like Mono Red. The fact that we can't find a consensus way to build this deck to attack the metagame means a couple things. One, which is a good thing, that this metagame having 38 or 36 different decks is wide open. Like, Pioneer is not solved. Maybe that will change when we get to the RC and the PT, but, like, right now... There's not a good understanding of how to build this deck. One of the things that Abe said during his Always Improving moment is was about Bonecrusher Giant against Phoenix. In my experience, I don't board out Bonecrusher Giant against Phoenix because it's so good against most of the things happening to me. I need to be able to kill an early Ledger Shredder. I need to uh, be able to... Which actually doesn't work, now that I'm saying it out loud. It does work because I'm willing to double, kill, uh, double spell a Ledger Shredder. And because it's a Bonecrusher Giant, but it also kills Phoenix. It also kills if they're playing Young Pyromancer. I have not dealt with the thing in the ice that Abe's talked about. Most of them do not play it that I found. But one of the other things is that on Arena still, which is where I play most of my Explorer slash Pioneer, people are still playing Sprite Dragon, so Bunker Giant becomes a lot better. On MTGO, that's not true. Nobody's playing Sprite Dragon. Literally nobody. There were zero Sprite Dragons in a single.
0: It's probably important to cover now. This is one of the moments where it gets really rocky for me to talk about Explore as Pioneer because no. the removal is so different that things like Sprite Dragon get to yes. live and like versus no, it, not.
2: No, it, yeah. the reason I also agree because if we look at like Mono Green is the most popular deck in Explore by a substantial margin. And it doesn't even have Nykthos. That being said, I've also played Pioneer Leagues on MPGO, and it's the most popular deck. Here's the thing. Mono Red is good against a lot of decks. Like, it's good against Boros Heroic. It's really good against Spirits. It's good against blue white Control. It's not good against Phoenix or Raptos, And that's this deck's downfall.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting puzzle to solve. And it's also a thing where if you do make it good against those, you give up other spots, which is kind of the crux of it. Because you can build, like, if you're listening, you might be thinking, like, oh, my mono red deck beats up Phoenix. And you might legitimately be having that. But you're having to shift things so much that it's kind of this, like, you really have to build your mono red deck week to week, get to build it in order to stay on top of things, which puts you in a really odd spot. And then you run into the wrong things where people do other shifts in the metagame because of their stuff. You find yourself in these awkward spots. So, really, what we need is some other. Last really good mono red card to come out, and then we can congeal the builds around one thing. We've got one more really strong, powerful card, but we we'll have to wait for that time to come. Otherwise, you're gonna have to be really on top of things with mono red. Let's move to the hater aid section. Uh, hidden strings comes in at 34 points. I am actually shocked that hidden strings actually uh, wasn't 10th. I knew it would be in the tenth and eighth spot, just because a lot of people select like to play combo decks. And uh, hidden strings does have some limited, legitimate strengths where like it can beat things like blue white control really easily. Hey man,
2: some people some people decide to play gruel aggro instead of mono red. Otherwise, like mono red would have crushed it.
0: So that's that's fair, yeah. Yeah, you know, people should have just stuck to the red. But no, but uh hidden strings really can beat up on things like control, and it is like the combo deck right now. We're seeing things like Grinning Ingus pop up, and people are trying to explore that sort of stuff. Um, with like the Hazaretz monument. But Hindus is the premier combo deck in Pioneer, and it's really bad. It's a turn five combo deck that just gets disrupted by everything, dies everything. In the format, the entire format is proactive or full of answer spells. And if you look at things like Rakdos Midrange, which is one of the more popular decks we'll cover later in the show, it plays discard spells plus creatures to attack. And then it has to play things like Go Blank and Duress in the sideboard in order to answer things like Phoenix and Control. So there's a lot of metagame factors going on that makes Hinge Strings, I think, actually the worst choice of a deck to play. Um, and I'm pretty confident saying that if you play any other deck that we talk about today instead of Hidden Strings you will on average do better much like we talk about Rhinos and Pioneer. I'm sorry Modern. That being said, does anyone no, here have on. a strong defense yeah, I do for Hidden Strings? Oh, not
2: defense. I I thought that I was going to be the biggest hater of Hidden Strings on this podcast.
0: No, it's um, really bad.
2: So here, here's the thing. I love Jerry T. I, I'm not afraid to like talk about other podcasts on our podcast. I think that the fact that other podcasters want to do that is weird. I love Jerry T and Brian. I think Brian is one of the best hosts next to Mason Clark in the entire world in podcasting. And I just disagree with them. I think that this deck is bad. I think that you should not play it. I think that it has You said something really interesting. Do you actually think it has a good blue eye control matchup? Because like is it actually good there? Because I watched I watched this deck lose to blue eye control twice. At multiple one case by multiple players. So, like, it can't be, like, over 60.
0: Well, it's magic, right? No matter what you do, like... Well, sure, like, that's what I'm, But, like, multiple players.
2: Multiple players.
0: Right. I, I, But it's the only matchup where it, like, even looks to make sense to have a good sure, matchup. That, makes sense. Like, that gives you time. No, I,
2: I agree on paper.
0: Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I don't like this
2: deck against... Let, let, me, let me rectify my statement
0: so that I can really hammer what Spencer's saying in the dirt, because Spencer's hitting on something here. I said Blue-Eye Control is the one thing where it can exploit, but I believe Lotus to be such a bad deck that even in matchups where they lack pressure and they can interrupt with you a little bit, it is still a deck that is not a functional thing to play across multiple rounds. So, Hold uh, on. So I'm not su- I actually— so, so I'm not surprised to see things like Blue-Eye beat it. Because I think it yeah. is that bad. I am literally yeah. telling you to sell your Lotus Field cards.
2: <laughs> I, I actually think, for what it's worth, we'll get into this later in the show. Maybe this is my moment to talk about this. I actually think you can't lose to Five Color Nib with this deck, but I also think that deck's unplayable. You shouldn't play it.
1: Yeah, but Five Color Nib is so cool while Lotus Field's so lame. Yeah, so that's the difference. So, it's so wild. I've got to step to Lotus Field's defense for a second here. Have you guys yeah, considered thanks. that it gets to play our Lord and Savior, Arboreal Grazer? I would have backed you up uplier. Hold on. <laughs> Green
2: Red Ramp while on the, the vast decline also gets to play the card.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna let you know a secret. You literally couldn't pay me to play Hidden Strings. You would have to get into like the Mega Millions lottery numbers in order to get me to play Hidden It's on your strings. ad nauseum. It's on my Ad Nauseum, Team of Rhinos, Lotus Guild. The you don't have to pay play. that much.
2: I've I've seen the things, the channel points on Mason's stream, and you don't have to pay that much to get him to play hidden. <laughs>
0: game. I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> de- no, like legitimately though, the deck is I, really, really bad. I I,
2: it, I, I think the fact that we have such strong reactions to it for what it's worth, I literally honestly, think you can pick any deck. It, at random. The, uh, <laughs> you
0: random. You can pick a deck at random so every week, and you would do better There's, than Lotus Field.
2: Hold on. There's 38 <laughs> decks in this or 36 decks. You think a random 36 7 decks do better than this?
0: I think that there that's not No, true. on the list. Okay, so but, I said earlier, any deck on the list.
2: Oh, on this top 10?
0: Yeah, yeah. Any I would pick I would pick I think, any of those I decks. Think think it is,
2: I think I think it's the worst deck in the top 10 by a substantial
1: margin.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: It's really really if, bad. If
2: you are the pioneer guy, I have to let you like have more than two sentences.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only thing I really have to say about hidden strings is that like, before it was kind of existing in this world where the decks were not yet coming together in a way that allowed them to, like, beat the turn five combo deck. And now they are, and you're still a turn five combo deck, and people don't even have damping spheres or whatever. They have worse interaction that still plays against you, and no one's really found a way to beat it with the Hidden Strings deck. It's not worth it. I do even know people who've tried to find things to do, the, like, to make Hidden Strings in a good position to capitalize on the lack of sideboard cards. Like, I think Kane was was playing around with some lists who we we had on the show uh, a few months ago as a pioneer expert, and even they were not having much success. So if you like playing the deck and you play it really well, I'm sure you can win an RCQ with it, but I would I would think that if you can spend the time to learn to play a deck that complicated that well... You would find a higher uh, payoff for your efforts. It's literally anywhere.
2: That was a terrible defense. Just to be clear, we're defending a deck. Your advice was My if you're defense good enough of the to deck, win deck
1: with was that ste- it plays Arboreal Grazer, <laughs> sir. That is the only defense I offer. If you like the slot, I, I just, the just only want to be clear.
0: Arboreal <laughs> <Royal> Grazer <laughs> the is
2: Mox the Diamond. Deck. The defense of this deck is it plays Grazer. But if you're good enough with this deck, you should play another deck because you'll win more. Yeah,
1: if you're good okay,
0: enough it's with this the deck, deck sucks, you, you can should get just play good anything else. else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much more I can say about how bad this deck is. All right, I think it's well, let's so start with humans then. You, all right, so it's like best matchup is Phoenix, and they can't even consistently do that. I'm moving uh, on. Let's humans. Let's start with humans. You came like humans in Forty-six yeah. points. <laughs> I have a hot take about humans. I think humans is good. We, this is the combination of mono white and band. we will talk about that a little more in detail.
2: It's it's more than that, actually. Can I can I cover well, this really quick?
0: Well, no, hang on. Cover, there's, there's a lot of different human stuff. We'll get to that. I actually think we should have put Bant Spirits in this category because I think the like big picture version of the decks that a lot of people are talking about, like Bant humans, uh, monoway humans, are very similar to Bant Spirits. Yeah. So if we did that, let's, it'd be on let's top actually of the
2: list. let's talk about this really quick. They yeah, yeah. almost did company decks as mm-hmm. their own category. That would have included Angels, Humans, Spirits, and just a regular company deck. That's almost the category that happened. But the thing is, is that what it would have happened is that Mono Blue Spirits would have come in in a a high place. Mono White would have come... Humans would not have placed. Where Humans is would have been the band deck. Would have been the... Well, no, it would have been one up because everything would have moved up one. But basically, company decks would have come in at eighth or at seventh. Mono blue spirits would have come in at eighth. Here's the thing: the macro of synergies between between your creature types was more important in the company versus non-company versions of your decks than the fact that angels existed. I, do you guys disagree?
0: This is a good like you yeah, can disagree. Yeah, that's I, I, I just I just think that it's not so much that per se as it is is that like mono blue spirits is a tempo deck, and then the other band spirits deck is just like a traditional Coco, like beat down like kind of a. I'm lacking the word so, so, like an aggressive mid range so deck.
2: I, I don't think that that's true. I, I do think that the band spirits deck plays out very much like it gets a lot of what what the mono blue spirits deck gets one of the things that I had talked about in our discord was blue green spirits as unexplored. And it is possible that it's unexplored because Bant spirits is just better. But I do think that because humans had four color humans, black, white humans, maru humans, mono white humans, Bant humans, like the human synergies was more important than the company synergy.
0: And I think that's fine. I, I just think that the, the decks play out very similarly. So when we talk about it, just know that like the Bant deck, plays a lot like the Bant Humans deck when it comes to play patterns.
2: Can y'all go back like 120 episodes and tell past Mason that he said this when he talks about spirits versus humans in modern?
0: I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I, don't, I don't know oh, what you're you referring just,
2: to. You just said one of them was Splinter Twin and one of them was unplayable.
0: Yeah. When... yeah Bant, Bant oh, Spirits right. in okay. the modern was really good. Yeah, it was really okay. good for a while. And it created a play pattern where you held up things and they had to play into it now through all this i think the real strength of the human stack i don't know how y'all feel this is that their two drops are just really good like thalia luminarch Aspirant, and thalia's lieutenant are just three really really strong two drops and that's something that this deck gets to do is it's one drops aren't so great it has some really good three drops which are good to a second but it has like a nice little like one powerful two pretty good three on average sort of curve um and the mono white deck does that the best at kind of exemplifying that is because its mana works out the most, but we see this in the Bant Humans deck as well, where they kind of have a similar thing, trying to splash for Experiment 1 and collect a company in a lot of ways, and then Reflector Mage. But, Abe, what do you think about the Humans deck?
1: Yeah, so the Humans archetype is one that's obviously near and dear to my heart. I feel like every time I see a copy of Extraction Specialist, I had something to do with it. I know that's a little selfish, but uh, the deck really is, like Mason said, held up by having a lot of the best twos in the format and especially twos at attacking like luminarch aspirin is very good out of the mono white decks the band decks that play werewolf pack leader uh apply a very very good amount of pressure fo- like following up uh experiment ones reflector mage backs those creatures up really well um, specialist means that for the games where people can answer your two drop you're immediately Back in the position you were because a lot of the effects that you're looking at that are strong on your two drops either thalia's lieutenant uh, thalia herself or aspirant are all cards that you get value out of simply by them being in play specialist does a really really good job of leveraging the power of those and the fact that so many of them are must answers over the course of a game that you just have to deal with more copies of their best cards and so while i do think that as far as another angle of attack we've seen like a lot of the aggressive decks and we were just talking about it, how mono blue mono red and we're going to talk about um about another aggro deck pretty shortly here uh, all of them are doing their own thing and being their own angle of attack on the format but i think especially the bant decks are doing it the most with just their creature quality and uh, that lends them to be some of the best decks when it comes to the collected company because your collect companies are doing more. Um, your creatures in play when you don't draw a collected company you are doing enough. Keep out people when you don't draw your best card. And overall, you're really just leveraging uh, your ability to constantly have a board state that requires your opponent to be keeping up. I think the mono white deck and the black white deck are pretty lackluster. I think that they don't have. The staying power or the punch to compete in the format with things like Rakdos. Unless you're playing Pirate of Heroes which I think is very good against Rakdos, you do wind up just not having enough ways to cross the finish line or you play against Monogreen and they play a single Cavalier of Thorns and you're behind the eight ball. But uh, overall I think it's like, it's not that's having good developments. I think that a lot of people are working on the list pretty actively. I see some changes uh, every couple of weeks and it's Definitely, like, on the cusp of breaking through, but right now I think it's not at the level of competing with the top.
0: What do you think of Brave the Elements in the deck? Because you mentioned, like, specifically the Mono White deck, right? You mentioned how, like, something kind of gets in the way and it can't be beat, and that's an angle to this deck that none of the other decks, and some of the decks I've talked about, grouping with this sort of deck, have access to. It's like a unique angle. What do you think about that sort of card to sort of break those paradigms?
1: I have a big problem with Brave the Elements because there's not many decks where you're naturally unfavored where brave the elements is doing a lot for you there's not many times where like a board state is stalled full of creatures of one color, and then you're able to just resolve a brave the elements and attack for lethal because you stalled up usually exchanges are happening a lot the decks that are good right now are going to be whittling you down on creatures so your braves aren't ever doing anything too swingy and then even against mono green if you brave to push damage but not kill the opponent, they are threatening to combo you in a lot of positions. So it can be really, really tough. I think the card's just not in a great spot, but if we saw that the format kind of drifted back towards decks that were leaning on Anger of the Gods to answer aggressive decks, things that brave naturally gained huge tempo advantages against, that's, wh- that's where I would say that, uh, that I would be more interested in MonoWay. But I think right now Mutavolt and Brave are both just not cards that I really love to be playing. So...
2: I don't know that I disagree with Abe, but I also don't know that I agree with him. The mono-white deck, uh, if we look at, like, the... kind of the overall trend of this, specifically, we see a really big decrease in some other aggressive decks, and specifically mono-white having a huge jump in the last two weeks and one of the things that i agree with avon is that i don't know that having no pyres is correct and also that means that maybe mono white is not correct but i think that pyre might be better than company and i can't believe i'm saying this because i thought it was like crazy a month ago when i saw the first person do this like when no, you, saw, when you, saw, Abe when do you it? saw me do it when so, saw me so make hold, on. Deck? <laughs> hold on time out the other thing I was going to say is I I want to give Abe credit for two things one was Pyre but the other was actually the one he mentioned which was Extraction Specialist I definitely missed on Extraction Specialist it's a card that I play a ton of on Arena right now uh, Abe your deck was Black White
1: right? it was Green White it was Bant based with a single Black White
2: that makes more sense I think Brave is way better than Abe is giving me credit for. I'm also disappointed in Abe because he's like a boomer like me and should just literally know that any deck that gets to play Brave the Elements naturally just has free wins out of nowhere for no freaking reason at all. I think that we are seeing a huge trend towards Mono White, and I believe that trend will change. I believe that the 4-color, the 5-color, the Bant, and the Mono-color... And the black-white deck will converge into a good humans deck. And the reason that I believe that is that is what we saw happen in Modern. Is that there was a mono-white humans deck. There was a five-color humans deck. There was a company human deck. And we eventually saw humans become solidified in Modern. I believe that will happen in Pioneer. I do believe that it will end up being either Abzan or Bant. But I, that is kind of what I believe that will happen.
0: Y'all are much lower on mono white than I expected. I'm actually pretty high on the mono white as like the one. Also, Adeline's a card that is really good in all these decks we haven't talked about. That card is very strong and very good with Thalia's Lieutenant.
2: For what it's worth, I'm not low on that card. I think it Thalia. I don't. And I didn't think and, you were low on uh, it. You said I was lower on it.
0: You, you said, said I said lower on mono white, and then I said a card we oh, haven't talked no, about I'm is Adeline.
2: I'm not low on Mono White. I think that if you're going to play one, that's the one you should play right now because we haven't figured out the difference.
0: Oh, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I just think the like the good mana and the like curve outness is good, and we just kind of have to figure out the cyborg creatures and stuff. And there's stuff that people haven't been playing. Like, a good example is Welcoming Vampire where it's stuff where it feels like people haven't actually looked at, like, outside of white like i've seen I feel like i saw one person Welcoming vampire so it's one person with like a selfless spirit in their sideboard and it's like just because the deck is humans and it's a white deck doesn't mean it can't play things like selfless spirit to solve problems or like welcoming vampire to solve problems so i think that there's a lot still to be done but i really like how this deck just kind of curves out on people and puts them on the back foot and really makes them have to have an answer and then gets to play powerful sideboard cards like rest in peace for matchups like phoenix
2: just to kind of add on to what you just said, I, the, there was a second place list that, on a challenge that started 7-0. and 0. It played Containment Priest, Rest in Peace, Supple Spirit, Tomic, Archon Emeria, and extraction spe- a second Extraction Specialist as its sideboard. White historically has had the best sideboard cards in Magic, so it makes sense why, Mason, you would love those sub decks. The card that we didn't mention that I, I thought that somebody else would mention was actually Kithionn. Hero of Akros. I actually have always thought that the backside, the Gideon backside of this card was bu- bu- busted. And seeing it in Pioneer, honestly, like looking at this list, it, if you just cut the three bin expectors and played this card, I think this, I would just play this list.
0: Well, I actually have played this list a bunch and I hate Kithian. It's just like, I have one Kithian because I want another Savannah Alliance, but. I don't want them to get clogged. I kind of want to like drop a bunch sometimes, and then drop a Thalio's lieutenant. Uh, and I have liked the three inspectors for actually outgrowing a lot of removal when one Luminar Gasprint or one uh, Thalia's lieutenant trigger happens, and they actually outgrow like just a bunch of shocks. So it—that's good to know. Yeah, it, it lines up differently in different places, but I'm sure there are going to be times where Gideon is really strong, and the legendary part of it does not matter as much. So it's probably like we mentioned earlier with the a week-to-week thing. We spent a lot of time on humans, though. Let's move on to the Sacrifice decks because he's coming at 50 points with a majority of that being from the Rakdos deck with a little bit being Jund. The Rakdos Sacrifice decks look a lot like the Historic and Explorer ones you've seen. It's like Cat, of a Mayhem, Devil, Fable, Clan the Firstborn, other one-mana stuff. These decks are very, very high synergy and have really strong late game payoffs. So Spencer, I'm curious, what do you think about the sacrifice deck in Pioneer? It looks to have like a lot of really strong cards. We talk about Claim the Firstborn was the best removal spell in historic for years. And this is the best yeah. version of that deck.
2: Yeah, I actually think that like this being a claim the firstborn deck is actually its claim to fame. We won't be able to get into this just due to the length of this episode, but I have maybe I'll cover this at the end of the show just really quickly, rapid fire if Mason will let me. But one of the rising decks is not Jun Sacrifice, which came in with 10 points of this 50. It was Rakdos' Sacrifice. Just really putting a lot of the pedal to the metal in the last two weeks. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One is while Rakdos' midrange, which we'll talk about later, has a bad mono green matchup. I think this deck has a good one. I, I think this deck's quite good against that deck. That's a huge benefit for for a deck. I think it also has a good spirits matchup. I think it also has a good blue-white matchup and a good Phoenix matchup. I think that if you can figure out your Rakdos matchup with this Rakdos deck, you're in like a really good position. Here's the thing. This is not my style of deck. This is one that I would consider... Abe, Abe might disagree with me, by the way, of the things I just said from looking at his face, so I'm interested to hear his thoughts. Th- this is one of the decks that I am more interested in than I have ever been, because this is not my style of deck.
1: The only thing I really... think I might have disagreed with you on is that I find that these decks are really shut down by a Karn. And so I think the mono green matchup can be really, really tough at
2: times. I actually, I do believe that that is true for what it's worth because of the way that they were initially built, which makes me wonder. The thing is, is like, I I mostly look for the mono green versions of the deck. They're still all playing for Karn. So it's like, okay, well, what changed? And I think it might be that they figured out how to play against the deck where they get to attack the Karn more regularly. And they also, I think that they're playing more of the draw spells than they used to play. That's the thing I noticed is it was, they're playing the full eight draw spells instead of six.
1: Yeah, my feeling has been that mono green's metagame share has been slowly mining. I'll touch on this, you know, when we get through the, the power ranking. But, you know, when we have the full picture of the format, there's something like pretty telling about why that would be. And I think that that's led more room for Rakdos to have more of its good matchups. But, I mean, I think that I can still strong. I think it gets to play a lot of the best cards in the format still, in the same way that Rakdos does. Um, it's just a little more synergistic and has a lot more game against certain pieces of the format. So it'd be a little more polarized in where it's good and where it's bad. So Rakdos, which is kind of consistently solid against a lot of
0: well, let's move on to Boros Heroic. Heroic came in with 55 points. Uh, Heroic is kind of like the classic deck from Standard's Pass, where you play a creature and some pump spells and and go the distance. Uh, this is a deck that we actually saw do really, really well uh when mono green was the most played and most represented deck this deck preyed on mono green in a very way similar way that mono blue spirits did but did in a much more proactive way so when it had its best draws the games it did very quickly and ended immediately uh and so heroic has there but since then kind of had moments of puttering in and out and has been uh you know as mono green sh- share decline so does heroic and kind of a symbiotic relationship and so heroic kind of has bolstered some of its results but you look over all the weeks, it has not been staying quite on top of things. Spencer, what do you think of the heroic deck in general?
2: So, there was a version that I posted in our Discord for patrons that was very different. It was, I still classified it under heroic because that's what it was. But I actually think this deck is not good. I think it's the second worst deck on our list. And the reason I think that is because, like, you have good matchups, right? Like, you're good against Spirits. You're good against mono green, But I actually think you're kind of bad against BS. You're really bad against Rakdos Sack. You're really bad against Junsack. You're really bad against Rakdos Mid. You're really bad against... In my opinion, I th- I could be wrong here because I have not played this matchup directly outside of, like, a couple of games with Phoenix. But my historically, this has not been a good matchup against Phoenix. I, I think that this stack suffers from a really big problem which is the second that people realize what they're doing against you hold on and while i say this we should have said this about hidden strings hidden strings is really good if nobody is prepared for you that's how i feel about boris heroic just like boris heroic blue white heroic and jeskai heroic and standard this deck suffers from the same problems which is the second that people realize That when you play a favorite Hoplite, what you're doing, their entire game plan changes, and your games 2 and 3 are really hard. And that's not to say that the deck's not strong, it's just like, it just has a very uphill battle to climb, and I don't think that it preys upon enough stuff to, to climb that hill.
0: I think a lot of the ways when Spirits, specifically Mono Blue, is good, this deck is probably also good for a lot of similar reasons where they've kind of put people to a test um, with this deck being proactive, but also because it has more interlocking pieces than Spirits, its fail rate is higher. So you kind of have to have things go more correctly uh, than something like that. But Abe, what do you think about the Boris Heroic deck?
1: Yeah, I think the Boris Heroic deck had its best showings when the format was still at a point where people were not trying to interact with each other it was in a unique position of being able to play good interaction for the cards people knew were good and were just putting in their decks like reckless rage and also having a game plan that punished people for not being good at interacting with them and just like being able to you know steal games with virtuoso or you know turn one favorite hoplites and especially being very punishing to green very early on was just you know people were saying like oh it's the best deck something needs to go out of it it's so good it's unbeatable hasn't panned out that way, but Heroic was, was a big part of that in being extremely punishing and also having the tools to fight through a more minimal set of interaction and players who are not as prepared for that deck to be a, a deck on their radar when they were, you know, mulliganing, building their sideboards, making decisions. I think it's still a, a strong deck and I think it's, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say it's about as good as Mono Red in the format, you know, both, both have the tools to be successful, but, but I think that it's, it's good matchups really declining, and its bad matchups are increasing in the way that Mono Red doesn't really...
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I actually was going to disagree with you really hard, and then you said that, and now I, just Mono agree with you? I think that Mono Red is gaining more equity while this deck is losing it. I think that one of the things that I didn't mention that I wanted to, Mason, is that Mono Red is really good against BS, right? Like, just random stuff. The problem with this deck is it's actually kind of bad against random stuff, right? If all I'm trying to Random stuff often beats aggro decks. That's like one of the first things that they try to do. But one of the mono red has the advantage of having staying power and burn, or this deck does does not. Like, I'm going to read off a couple of decks really quickly from the spreadsheet that are not mentioned in here, right? One of the maxes that I think that also was super popular a month ago that's not mentioned in this power rankings is actually Grease Fang, which I think that Boros is also really good against. While they're a turn four deck, like, Boros was was big enough and fast enough to get through it. Or Monored was actually really bad against that deck. So, like, that deck falling off favors Mono Red, but actually hurts this deck. But then, like, you know, some of the decks that we talked about that, like, are not very good. Like, I, I don't think that Five Color Niv is a deck that you should play at all. But actually, I think that it's insanely
0: good against this deck i think it's so bad it's ma- it's because of the mana. interesting it, it's, it's specifically of a mana advantage on them i mean i think there, there hits a point in the game where if you stabilize to get to five ish mana you can beat the heroic decks but i think the heroic decks are so much more mana efficient and the niv deck is so clunky and slow with its mana that you actually can push through them
1: yeah i think the biggest That's thing awesome. for the heroic I- deck the, the biggest uphill battle it has in my opinion is that in order to beat the heroic deck you really only need to resolve one good spell, maybe two. And that is a much easier hurdle to climb than something like Mono Red or Humans, where it's like, you need to present multiple answers because all of my cards are red, as opposed to cards that are being I agree.
2: The other decks that I was going to talk about, because I do think that it was good against Grease Fang, which is declining, except Abzan secretly has just skyrocketed in the last two weeks but i also think that blue red creativity and blue red control are also really good against this deck, and they also are slightly on the upswing blue red creativity slightly less but like you know jun sack bracto sack like there's this deck just does not have a lot of good matchups
0: well, let's move on to Mono Green. Mono Green is the machine when the format first kind of got the bans recently with Winoda and Express Federation. This deck very quickly rose to the top, and there's kind of a narrative, you know, at first with Pioneer. It still kind of kind of holds true where a lot of decks aren't fully built, or decks are kind of lacking that one or two more cards that makes them kind of cohesive, and they have a lot of filler in those sort of spots, right? Like you could look at the Human stack and talk about like. Dauntless Bodyguard is an example of a card that's fine, but you really wish you had like a more powerful one drop instead of something like that. Uh, and the Modern Green deck does not have that problem. Now, for better or worse, what you think about the power level of the deck, which we'll get to in a second, the Modern Green deck is a pretty cohesive deck. It has its eight elves. It has its strong. Bridge spells and it has its payoff in its end game, and it even has a combo finish in the deck. And has been getting some innovations in this past couple of weeks with things like Nico Bolas Godfarer as a way to kind of go over the top in mirrors another grindy sort of matchup. So, Mono Green came out at 59 points. It is one of the most consistent and linear decks in the format that is good and has a lot of play to it, surprisingly. I think a lot of people wouldn't expect that from a Monogreen deck. But, Abe, I'm curious, what do you have to think about Monogreen?
1: I think Monogreen is the 2022 version of Hidden And I say that because it is a deck that has kind of some innovation, like playing Nickel ball loss. There's like two slots that can kind of really be messed with. But because of the concessions you have to make to playing a Karn deck, having Karn be a good card in the way that you're building your deck, you have such little flexibility between your game one configuration and your sideboard configurations that your deck is already about as good as it will ever be. And it is about the way that the format is able to handle that. And there's not a lot that can happen to change that. I don't see there being cards that are going to improve this kind of deck that much more, right? The only things that could do it are things that are gonna find Nykthos more, or you know, somehow give you more devotion or be a better planeswalker than Kiora for setting up your combo. There, there's very little. Well, Vital room Force
0: actually that. just got added. Did you see this from this past weekend? The Nissa Vital Force to the deck. It's I I, yeah, I, I would start, argue the so, Vital I mean, Force seen, takes up the two flex slots.
1: Yeah, I've seen I've seen I've yeah. Nissa Vital Force, I've seen uh Nistu Shakes the World, I've seen Nickelball Us, I've seen well, I've seen any any random thing you can I've seen like Pelucranoses, voracious hydras. There's tons of things you can do with these last two cards, but that's the only two cards you really get to negotiate on. You know? And so without being able to change much more than that, I think this deck is kind of close to its ceiling as far as how good it'll be, and it will constantly be putting a pressure on the format to be answered. You, know, you have to be playing a deck that has a plan for beating Monogreen because it is one of the most powerful things you can be doing at the ground floor, in the same way that maybe two years ago we could say that about the Hidden Strings deck where it was putting a check on the format, you have to pass this test of, you know, make sure that you can be me trying to go off like this. In this case, it's Monogreen saying, All right, you have to make sure you can kill a turn one Lana or Elf some amount of the time that you can answer a, a resolved planeswalker despite the fact that I have one four four in play. Or, you know, end the game before I'm able to storm the festival a couple times and put everything in play. So that's kind of my feelings on the deck. I think it's it's good, but I think that it is not ever really going to get better on its own. I think that the times it's going to be better are going to be the times that decks have stopped respecting it, and that doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon, because of the fact that it's such a
0: Spencer, I saw you kind of reacting to what Abe was saying. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Oh man, I feel like I'm about to lose like so many Twitter followers because I'm like the green guy. A lot of what Abe said is right, but I think that Abe's conclusion is wrong. I've been pushing a version of green that does not play Nykthos, that does play Karn, that is very different. I think green is in a bad spot in a lot of ways. I think that it has a lot of good things. I think that it lost some of its identity recently. And what I mean by that is, like, I think Golos is actually really missing from these decks. And the Golos package that really took this deck over the edge at the beginning of Pioneer where it presented a threat that was so must be answered that it made all your other threats untouchable. And what what Abe is saying about this deck, where like, it's a Karn deck, it's true, but also like, it should be a Golos Karn deck. And also, if that's what it's doing, why is it not the Eldrazi deck that we saw when it challenged a few months ago? i think monogreen has a lot of problems one of them is i think that like they're way too focused on their devotion combos i think that while it's really cool that you have i think there's like three different infinite combos in this deck if i'm not mistaken they're just nonsensical they come up like you can do them i had a match where i was playing the green red deck that i'm talking about on mtgo uh, i was playing against monogreen game one they had 30 mana by turn three they totally won, and then they lost the match. I, I think that focusing too much on your Nykthos is actually hurting this deck. For example, I, I don't think that... um, What's the name of the 4-4? I should know the name of the card. Old uh, Yeah, I think this card's just bad in this deck. I think that, like, focusing this hard... One of the things that happened is people were like, Burning is bad, right? Because, like, you know, it, it doesn't do anything. But it's like, okay, but, like... If you're gonna just try to nut draw people, it's way better than old girl control. I think we have oh, fundamental. Hold differences. On. I'm not.
0: I'm not saying that burning tree is good. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about I think that the deck has a infinite combo for free, and it's not trying to do that. Oh, interesting. I think you just kind of present a board, and you should just be attacking people. And sometimes you're like, hee sure. hee, ha ha, got you. That that's true. And honestly, that is often.
2: While you don't have the infinite combo in Explore, that is what happens in Explore pretty often is like you're just playing stuff. I do think that like the deck is way better than it's presented in the power rankings. I also think it's the most attacked deck in this format. It has an insanely good matchup against the best deck and a good matchup against the second best deck. And what's happening is that the best players do not enjoy playing this style of deck and they are not playing it. That being said, I think mono green is not the answer, and you should play more colors.
0: I think mono green, kind of like to, to put a, a pin in it, kind of like Abe said at the beginning, will put a pressure on the format, and it will continue to do that sort of in a way that like Affinity kind of did in early modern where you kind of had to have I think stuff. It's it, it puts a pressure on the format and makes you have to respect it in a way. And that will cause a lot of things. And the deck is very consistent, very strong, and it does a lot of things really well and breaks the mana system a lot and lets you skip ahead turns. And while the format is low power, doing things like Lannorelf and the Old Ghost Troll into Karn is actually a very winning line against a lot of decks and allows you to put a lot of pressure on people and stuff and then the ability to high roll a combo or high roll these just nutty mana turns is just something your deck gets to do at very low opportunity cost to you. So I think green is a deck that I think is strong and has weak... Excuse me, it will be very strong, but it does kind of have, I would argue that Nissa Vital Force is sort of the end game between that and Nicobolas, where it's like, okay, now figure out how you want to do your thing. Because Vital Force is a fair walker that is also Kiora for comboing. Uh so if you want to do like Spencer said, and or how Spencer suggests not doing, it, I should say, like Nysla Vital Force lets you lean that sort of way, whereas like Nikobolas lets you grind more. So a lot of weird things that can happen with the Mono Green deck. It's gonna be interesting to see how this all plays out as we know we get new sets and new you know potentially powerful ramp cards like dominaria is known for having lanora elves and stuff and we saw a new elf get added and maybe we'll get more cards like that regardless let are talk about spirits six six points half of that about being mono blue other half being ban with a small bit of blue eye in there uh mono blue spirits is a deck that i know you really love spencer so i'm gonna let you take things here
2: yeah i think mono blue spirits has good matchups against a lot of decks. I think it's good against Phoenix. I think it's good against Blue White. I think it's good against I mean, I think it's insane against mono green. You know, its bad matchups are really bad though. It's mono red matchup is really bad. And it's not just mono red, like blue red prowess is really bad.
0: Uh so, you know, hang on, I wanna talk about the Phoenix thing. You think you have a, a good Phoenix matchup?
2: historically I've I've literally never lost to that deck. Uh, oh, um, okay. That could be a me thing. So if you're disagreeing with that so in one case, I'm 3-0 against the deck. On MTGO, I would have to pull up my data on Ladder. But I think on Ladder, I'm also 100% against the deck.
0: Um, do you mean Explore, or do you mean Leaks? Explore, yes. Okay. Explorer.
2: One thing that has changed this month is the adoption of Fiery Impulse. Is that the name of the card? The 2-3 to three damage Spellmaster card. That was not true in Explore or... Pioneer a month ago uh, looking at the June data there were some but it was not as much as now they're all playing for and I do believe that that plus the shocks will give you the same bad matchup right when I play in paper it is in Pioneer I've never lost to the deck I, I do think that there are some problems that Phoenix has as a deck that we'll get into later that I do not believe that Mono Blue Spirits has. Additionally, I don't actually know that it matters which Spirits deck you play. I know that Mason said he wanted to combine them. I actually think that they're all playing super similarly. I have played Company Spirits decks on Arena. I, unfortunately, almost exclusively play Green decks on MDGO. But I don't think that it's that different. I actually would assume that both Bant and Blue-White... Here's the thing. The, the one three that pumps your team, uh, Supreme Phantom, off the top of my head, yeah, is so good against Phoenix. Like, it's insane. So, I I would have a hard time believing, even though the, you're looking at me like I'm an idiot, that that matchup is bad.
0: I believe that when you have a bunch of pieces of the puzzle, the matchup would be bad. Uh, like, if you are clogged on that sort of card, but. Why are you responding like that? If you're spin- we should talk about this off the show.
2: I'm really curious why you just said what you said.
0: Well, I it's actually- a, a three-mana draw, two that's easily interacted with. The problem, I think, is that they kill your stuff, and then the phoenixes come, and then the phoenixes block, and the phoenixes come back. Or the thing in the ice flips, or the ledger grows. And so, like, all of the things kind of line up poorly there. That's kind of where I, I'm coming from on it. Uh, so, like, if if you have a lot of the draw cards, it can be hard because you fall behind. Abe, do you have anything you want to say about Spirits?
1: Yeah, I think the only thing I really want to say about Spirits, because I think Spencer did a good job of covering good matchups are, is that specifically mono blue and Bant, the biggest thing I'll say is that Bant is a lot more like something like Humans, where it's trying to put a lot of power in the air into play and do some minimal disruption, uh, because its clock is much quicker naturally by having all these lords and flying creatures. Like how we talked about on the uh, on the aggro episode about how uh, that can kind of dictate how much interaction you need. The mono blue deck is much more about curious obsession and having uh, these cheap flying threats that are hard to interact with and rattle chains and things that are protecting an existing board state and then trying to like cross the finish line just ahead of the opponent. And has a lot more interaction on the stack, so it's really good at punishing decks that are trying to play things that don't impact the board. For a lot of mana, like mono green, right? So their biggest, most important cards are like Karn and Cavalier, and those are both pretty susceptible to something like Geyslit Snare, or you know, an Aether Gust out of the sideboard. A well placed piece of counter magic in their entire game plan, and so mono blue plays a lot more like that, and has like Faceless Haven and stuff to close games, opposed to Bant, which is much more like a traditional like Bant spirit deck you might have remembered from putting a bunch of flyers. In
2: there. I actually really love what Aid just said about this kind of that spirits dichotomy because it's actually why it's Rakdos matchup is so bad, Abe, is because you have these natural parts of the mono green plan that when you disrupt them really hurt the deck. But then you look at something like Rakdos and to, to Mason's credit, Phoenix, where you don't have those natural disruptions. And when you don't have those parts that you can disrupt, mono blue gets a lot worse, which is where I think that the, the part that you guys talked about why Bant plays out more similar to humans comes into play, right? Where it's like, it's about disruption plus pressure. And I think that's that's really valuable insight. I do think that both Bant and Mono Blue and UI are all insane against blue-eye control, which also is a huge benefit to the deck. It's funny because like people had this as like a D-tier deck. Uh, if you looked at Mason's responses to his tweet like a month ago... Mason disagrees, but that's uh, what I saw.
0: Oh, you're saying that the people were saying that, not the tier yeah, list. Yeah, oh, Pe- I was like, not I was, you. I, I, yeah, not I was you. Like, had you had A. it in B, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, right? I had B or A somewhere uh, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah B yeah. or
2: A. The funny thing is, is it's like, oh, I mis- disagree dramatically with your tier list, Mason. And then I looked at people's response. I was like, apparently you were right because people have this way off. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think this is like, it's easily top five. I think it's top three macros in, in this format, which makes sense. Like, if you look at the history of Pioneer and the, the decks that did well in Standard, how it affected Eternal Formats, it makes a ton of sense.
0: Let's move on to Blue-White Control, because I think that's something that Spirit gets to kind of beat up on. It would be a natural kind of next talking point. Blue-White Control is coming in with 83 points, and I think this is all set up Blue-White Control and Pioneer, is that it has some really strong cards. And we talked about this a lot on the podcast, and back when um, we were about three weeks before Streets of New Penna, I was really high on Blue-White and Pioneer. Uh, And it had things like Teferi, the Wandering Emperor, Member Deluge, good interaction, counter spells. But since then in the banning, things have changed a good bit where blue-white kind of has to adapt to what other people are doing in a way that we don't always see in magic, especially in other formats. But we're seeing a lot here in Pioneer and there's a constant coming point where we're having to adapt to what's going on. But blue-white does have those sort of tools and does have a lot of really powerful cards and just consistently kind of... Figures out something, is able to attack it and move on, and the other decks have to move around it, and does have some matchups that are pretty good and has made concessions in order to beat decks that are causing it problems. So things like Rakdos was a really hard matchup. So they brought in Dream Trawler as like a big innovation in their deck to answer the Rakdos decks, which has in turn made Rakdos have to move around some. But we're seeing them having to adapt to what's going on, but being able to and consistently putting up results along those lines.
2: Two things I want to say, I love the 60 card versions, I think that they're substantially better. Two, um, I also think that like this deck is weird to say this, but it might be the most consistent deck in Pioneer. And I think that's for good reason. Like It applies a specific set of answers and questions, and it gets depth. Yeah, I think Blue Eye Control has been a staple of Magic for a lot of Pioneer's time in Magic when you look at standard results, so it was natural that this would be the best deck, there were Demir Control, Esper Control, and Jeskai Control, and Blue Red Control. This deck outperformed all of them, and I think that you have to have a really good reason to play any of those other style of control decks when you look at just how good Supreme Verdict is in this format, where it's like only real answer is Spell
1: And I've said this a lot, kind of half in jest about Blue when I'm playing RCQs or helping people prepare for RCQs is that Boy Control and Pioneer is not a deck that gets to complete games. Like, the clock is its biggest enemy. When I play against on Magic Online, I almost always, like, find myself fighting out a game in game one, which winds up with me being up, like, five or six minutes on a clock on my opponent. And in paper, I often find myself scrapping through a long game, like, and if I win that game, there's only, like, 15 minutes or so, and they're not going to be able to win Win the game in time, so I think it has some pretty natural flaws that kind of keep it down. Just in the way that it's currently oriented, I don't know if there's a way to fix that. Really, it doesn't have many cards that can allow it to get more proactive, but it has a consistent game plan, puts good checks on on the format. You know, in fields where Stream Verdict is good, it's good. In fields where Counter Magic is good, it's good. It has a, a game plan against all the decks, which is to control them. Fairy's very good. And sideboard, like, shifts are, are pretty good, too. But you have to be, like, a special kind of blue-white sicko to really want to register this, I think, because it has a lot of issues with actually closing.
2: As somebody who literally looked at 37 blue-white deck lists today to make these power rankings, Abe is right. In fact, th- this is not universally true, but I believe in order for it to get a top eight, almost all of them played at least either two Shark Typhoons main or another, like, big win condition main. Like, almost none of them were straight random blue-white cards. Like, you were not winning on the back of Five-Man fairy anymore. You had to have something else.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, let's move on to our number two deck, Phoenix. Phoenix came in with 103 points. It's a 20-point jump from the last deck uh, that we talked about here. And Phoenix is the deck that uh, got hit with a ban in the most recent BNR and Pioneer. We saw express Federation leave. We saw it kind of subside for a couple weeks. And then sort of, we saw Nathan Stewart and Piper Powell uh, really crush it in the, I believe it was the Moto PTQ slash RCQ. And then since then, the deck has kind of been on a resurgence, and we saw it kind of adapt to things like Modern Green. Since then, Phoenix is re the the game. People have started re-attacking Phoenix. We're seeing things like Rest in Peace have the monolith White deck, which they weren't playing before. We see a bunch of Unlicensed Hearse. A lot of things along those lines that we're seeing Phoenix really get attacked. But Phoenix still is one of the most performing decks and has one of the most consistent top 32 finishes across all the decks we're seeing here. And Spencer, I'm kind of curious, what do you think about the Phoenix deck playing the powerful Delve spells?
2: The ability for this deck to take an extra turn will also... If they don't respect that, getting to just recall is pretty insane. I'm going to say something pretty controversial. I think that this is the most overrated deck in this format. Almost all of its points came from top 32s. It was easily second most played deck in this results by a substantial margin. I think it is maybe a top five deck in the format, but I would be shocked if that were true. That being said, I think this one's really open, which means that this is an A-plus tier deck. Like, it's very good. But I don't think that the 103 points being 23 points above blue-white, which I would put in the same category as this deck, is enough to, like, make me be like, oh, I should play Phoenix at my RCQ. In fact, I would guess most players at your RCQ have Phoenix on their radar. One of the things that I noticed looking at lists is the lack of unlike of uh, hearse in the 75s of decks in the last month whereas if you looked at june results that was not true a lot of people were playing hearse in june so i think this deck had a huge bump from the banning by people just disrespecting it which is also maybe why abs and grease thing which is not on this list also had a huge bump that being said I think Ledger, Shredder, Phoenix are two of the best cards in this entire format. Dig Through Time might be the best card in this format. So it gets to do a lot of things. I just think that it is... I'm going to say something and I'm going to get attacked. It's almost like Jund. Like it has like a bunch of 50-50 matchups and not a ton of great matchups. And the fact that I don't think that it's good against mono green really brings this down a peck for me.
0: Yeah, I think it is just the Jund deck. Just has a lot of fair matchups where it kind of trades cardboard with people and eventually kind of takes over the game and attacks. It has a lot of different ways to be built. It has a lot of different ways uh, you can sort of take things. And we've seen that in Adaptive Metagame, and we've seen it happen throughout its sort of life post-expressive iteration, where if the expressive iteration was so easy to solve all your problems, now we're seeing things like, okay, is the format really creature-based? Is the format really creature-based? I probably want more thing in the ices, whereas if maybe something like green isn't as big a player this week, maybe I don't want anything in the ices even in the main deck, right? We're seeing a lot of different stuff like that happening in order to react to what's going on and try and sculpt your deck. And if you're not doing that sort of thing and you're doing the same Phoenix deck, you're really losing a lot of points and you can't afford to lose points with a deck uh, like this. Even though this deck does have a lot of incredibly strong cards, things like Treasure Crews are really, really good in Pioneer and especially in a deck that's trying to actually trade cards with each other. And the deck really does do a good job of enabling that albeit at the price of some matchups having to do things like strategic planning and pieces of the puzzle.
1: Abe, would you have any thoughts on Phoenix? Phoenix was like the best deck by a country mile when uh, Express was legal. It was just constantly out hustling decks on like every axis and then finding, like seeing enough of its deck to consistently enact its game plan, having enough cards to interact with decks need to interact with. Um, and even without just that card, the deck has, has gotten obviously substantially worse. The The replacement level between strategic planning and express iteration is palpable. But it's still doing lots of powerful things. Treasure Cruise is still one of the better cards in, in Pioneer, period. Going up that many cards in a format where you can be making changes one mana against threats that matter. That all adds up to the deck being a good contender. I think what sets it apart from the deck that we're about to talk about is... That, without Express iteration, it now operates on an axis that is exploitable, and that's kind of led to it only being like one of the two or three best decks in Pioneer. It can be exploited, and when it is being exploited, it has weakness, and it's also not as consistent. But it is still, I think, a, a very good choice for most open fields of modern, or for a, open fields of Pioneer, because it does have a proactive game plan. It plays a lot of the good cards, and. It it's able to do its thing.
2: Yeah, I hope me talking down this deck doesn't convince people not to play it at, like, RCQ-level events. Because I actually do think that, like, this deck will win a ton of RCQs. I just also think that if people are prepared for this deck, it is a lot worse than it was.
0: Phoenix benefited a lot from having a little hate in the arts. Now people are really aware of it, and there's a lot of narrative around it. So when you go and play an event, people are going to be prepared for you. If they are any any amount plugged in to Pioneer, Uh, Phoenix always gets brought up, which is the perfect segue. God, I'm so good at it. To the other deck that people won't stop talking about. Our number one deck by a country mile when it comes to the power rankings is Rakdos Midrange. At 146 points, I believe 130 of those are for Misplaced Ginger himself, but jokes aside, Ractos Midrange is the... They're not. I won't accept this. No, they're not. No, they're not. Derek won two challenges and top uh, aided five other ones. He's a lot of the points, Uh, but regardless, Ractos Midrange is the most Performing deck when it comes to points in our system here. Rectos Midrange is also the deck that is the most polarizing in all of Pioneer content. If you're anything like me, you've been listening, watching, and reading a lot of Pioneer content, trying to see what everyone kind of thinks. Again, idea because Pioneer is such a still new and fledgling format. There's a lot of thoughts and theories going around, and a lot of people think that Red Black Midrange is one of the worst decks in Pioneer. You are here, our good friends over at Dominaria Judgment with Ari Lax talk about how they think, you know. Fundamentally just not a good magic deck. So, that leaves us here. Where do we fall on red-black mid-range, Spencer, I will let you go first. I'm seeing some looks in your face there. I've
2: never heard this opinion that this is a fundamentally bad magic deck. I think that it has, at times, at weeks, and, and for what it's worth, the results, if you look at them show this, even in the last month, that it has bad weeks, but like, it has... In my opinion, one really bad matchup in Monogreen, one kind of bad matchup in, in Blue-Whites. Is there another bad matchup that this deck has in our top 10?
0: Well, so this is an interesting thing about Rakdos. Uh, I, straight up matchups, I mean, sometimes things get complicated with Phoenix in the late game and sideboard plans. Sure. Uh, so that that's kind but of... That's like a one.
2: 50-50 deck, right? Yeah. So like, that's it's, not it's, a bad matchup.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes they do things that make it a lot worse post board, but pre game okay. one, and so there's a lot of things going on there. But this is the, the interesting thing is, I think you can actually build Rakdos to where you are going to lose game once against Modern Green every time, and then win a lot of the post board games. And I think that okay. is a, a strength of this deck. And so okay. I, I think can that you makes a really beat hard to talk. Phoenix, about. while doing that, I think you can beat like two oh, of Ape three. Says decks. Yes, Abe yeah. talked about yes. Yeah, well, I was gonna say I think you can beat two of the three. but I'm curious what Abe says. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. While people were kind of doubting the ability of Rakdos Midrange's plan of all three drops to be able to contend in pioneer, there's something that really stands out about Rakdos, which is that it is not an exploitable strategy outside of its inefficiency, you could say, about the fact that it is all three drops, but the entire format is somewhat inefficient right now, and that does not make it an axis on which people can really get ahead of that, I think, is really the telling thing as to why Rakdos has been this deck that has slowly picked up steam and become gravitated towards by people who play a lot of Pioneer as the answer to things. Because while you might still be unfavored in your mono green matchup because you will probably lose every game one that you're on the draw and you will probably lose a bunch of the ones that you're on the play and then the matchup's still tough, you can position your deck with cards like Extinction Event by moving away from things like Chandra towards things like Hazaret. You can make your deck cohesive enough to apply pressure in a way that allows you to beat decks like Mono Green and Phoenix with the right set of answers and have a game plan that punishes the fact that all of the decks in Pioneer have somewhat of a fail rate if they're interacted with. Um, and it gets to play enough of the good interaction. Fable the Mirror Breaker is one of the best cards in Pioneer, and it allows the whole thing to work. It's able to take enough of a flexible role with the cards it has in the matchups it needs to that in any given matchup it's not ever really out of it it has the tools to flex and be where it needs to be when you present your deck in all of the matchups and if we look at you know even just this top 10 reading it down phoenix blue white spirits green heroic sack humans hidden strings red half of those are decks that are trying to just do something to get under people and that is not a deck that really get under between fatal push bone crusher giant and the rest of the removal Rakdos really has its bases covered there and the deck's trying to be over it it has enough staying power with its strong planeswalkers things like Hazoret, creature lands with fable it has enough resources to push through all of that as well so it really is yeah. a jack of all trades and master of none but there are ways you can make sure it's attacking the right parts of the field for a weekend
2: I have a really strong opinion after listening to it because, like, I had not been on the part of Magic Twitter, apparently. I mean, I'm not on a lot of Magic Twitter, but, like, anyone who doesn't understand that Graveyard Trespasser is, like, one of the best cards in Pioneer is out of their minds. It is good against every single... Except for Monogreen.
1: And even against Uh, Monogreen, it
2: does something. I was going to say, it's still still fine against Monogreen. I've played a lot of Monogreen. Saying that this deck is all three drops is ignoring the fact that Fable of the Mirror Breaker is one of the best cards in the format. And then the other card is good against half the metagame. Bone Crusher Giant isn't really a three drop.
0: Bone Crusher I mean, Giant is the best creature hate spell in the last ten years. It, is, yeah, it always kills two creatures.
2: Here's the thing. I hate this deck. Uh, because I think that it is, in fact, the best deck in the format. And I'm not just saying that because, like, it has 143 points in the last month. I'm saying it because, like... It does what Abe said. Whether you're playing Sorin as like another Planeswalker or more Chandra, it has the ability to play so much. And a huge part of that is like its mana base gets to be like pathways, crypts, spell lands, creature lands. Its mana base is insane. Like it's the best removal, right? Like just Dreadbore itself is good in this format. It has a bad matchup. I think Monogreen is bad for it. I think that you know, you can build your deck to adjust for that. But I think that uh, naturally Mono green plays, plays on this deck. I think that if you ever play against like five color NIV, you have a bad matchup. but that's bad. And like your thought seasons might just get you out of some of those games. But like this deck is the best deck.
0: I think rectos is probably one of the safest choices to pick consistently in Pioneer. And I, I think it's funny. I think Especially if you're on Twitter or you look read my, at my article maybe about a month ago now. I did a Pioneer tier list and the top two decks I put at the time were Mono Green and this one. And then the next decks I put were Blue White and Arclight Phoenix. Uh, and I got a lot of crap for a lot of that stuff. But as we kind of see time play out, they sort of play out like that. And the reason Rakdos was high is because everything we said here where Rakdos is consistent. Rakdos does just do its thing every time and you can't really break it up and it breaks up the other decks and the other decks are doing things that it breaks up. And that is a really strong place to be. And I mentioned this earlier. I kind of, you know, I kind of laid my check gun if you would. And I said like every deck is sort of like one or two cards short of being like a really coherent deck. And when that happens, there's a lot of pressure on your power cards to be really powerful. So when you thought these are pieces of the puzzle, that has huge implications for the Arclight player. It's hard for them to get ArcLights. It's hard for them to delve. That just, those sort of things you can break up strategies like that have lasting ramifications. And I played mid Midrange for the first time in paper. This past weekend, I was very happy with my deck choice. And I think that if I had just played better and actually had all my cards with me and not had to scrap to grab 75 red-black cards, I would have done very well. And I intend to play Ractos going forward in a lot of the events. You know what, man? Life
2: being zombie huge innovation for this deck like that this wasn't playing this card a month ago right like people just assume that because it's not jund it's not good right like they just equate green with being the thing that pushes the mid-range deck over the edge and that's just not true with this deck it's honestly the red cards that do it
0: i think the other thing that this deck has going for it and this is an interesting sort of thing is that there are not a whole lot of people who are doing a lot of hyper spiky competitively focused pioneer content and you know think what you will of derek he is literally always streaming red black always playing it and always trying new cards and he's changing cards constantly to get how they feel and so you'll see him play Hazaret. and i message him like why are you playing Hazaret? like what's going on he's like oh yeah like phoenix can't beat that and then he like changes because he thinks like phoenix is gonna be lower in the metagame and he plays like a bunch of extinction events he's like oh yeah every card in monogreen is odd so i like found extinction event, or like, I lifebane zombie. And so, there's a lot of work being done on this deck, and that is something that's big, I expect, once we get to the RC, and I think some people are playing their cards that are close to the chest, like I, I literally know people who feel like they have a lot of good stuff but are holding it, that sort of thing will change maybe, but for right now, that's all we can talk about is now, and you know, there's just a lot of good work being put in on the Rakdos deck, and we see it just crush the challenges. At the time of this recording, it was For Three of the four final slots for the challengers and won both of them. So Rakdos is doing pretty good right now, I would say.
1: Yeah, I really want to hammer home something that I said when I led on on what I was saying about Red Black, which is that the deck is not exploitable. And right now, in Pioneer, the best way to get wins is to exploit a weakness in your opponent's deck because all of the decks do have weaknesses. And something that we see actually in four color, which makes it such a dominant best deck right now in, in modern, is that it doesn't have cards that even in the entire card pool of modern can really effectively knock out its game plan. So it's an incredibly resilient. Mid-range. It just does the thing and will constantly slog because all of its cards lend itself to that game plan. And in a similar way on a much smaller scale, I think Rakdos benefits from a similar set of conditions where its best cards are just good enough and there aren't ways to really shut them out. And when they have things like Fable and Blood Tithe Harvester that really increase their consistency, the amount of cards they see a game, when they have, you know, just good interaction, it adds up to a deck that is surprisingly resilient to being squat. It's like a, a cockroach. That's really my final feelings and, and what I think is most important about why Rakdos is the top dog right now is that I think that there aren't really strategies that are found to contend with the rest of the format and get over Rakdos. Specifically.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of pressure in the format. That's going to do it for our main topic here today. There is a lot going on in Pioneer. There's a bunch of things we could have talked about, like Spencer listed a bunch of decks that have been doing worse as weeks have gone on with like Boris Rourke, Nip to like Gruul Ramp, Hidden Strengths. Those are all things that have been, we're doing well before and are kind of falling off now. We see, you know, rising stuff like the Rakdos Sacrifice deck try to be a more synergistic version. We're seeing various versions of Human Spirits, Grease Fang with a newly innovated Abzan deck. We're seeing, you know, Ascendancy. We're seeing Grinning Ignis start to show up as well. So there's a lot of stuff happening uh, in pioneer and it's still all being formed and that's kind of why we're saying all the things we are saying about pioneers it's still a blossoming and flourishing format there's a lot of things we figured out and a lot of room innovate feels like every one time someone says yeah like there's nowhere else we can go in pioneer something gets figured out and that's a really exciting part of the format but we need to move on to our patreon question of the week if you want to support the show go to patreon.com gcmtg show always you free but if you would like to get back to the show You get to get in our Discord, which is pretty cool. A lot of people talking about stuff. We have like a little cheer squad channel for how people events are going on. People are testing in there. People are talking in there. You also get to ask questions like this one on the show. Chase asks, if Magic had a walk-up music, like in baseball or wrestling, what would be your walk-up song? I will go first. Mine would be Massacre by Kim Petras. That is mine. Spencer, what would yours be?
2: I can't pick one, so I'm just going to name them really quick. Uptown Funk was the one that I was listening to on repeat uh, when I won my RCQ. When I won States the first time, it was uh, Taylor Swift's, yeah, that's right, Mean, because of the way that I was treated in Utah. And then more recently, it's been Me Too by Megan Trainor.
1: I'd be one of those guys who changes their walk-up music every week. I, I'm huge on making playlists, but I think if I had to go with one stable one, I'd go with Rigor Mortis by uh, Kendrick. The solid walk.
2: I think that you should just use the Digimon movie soundtrack, Abe. Like, in order. That is an incredibly
1: good soundtrack, but I don't think they're really good walk up. Coolest thing I ever saw.
0: <laughs> Another way to get a question on the show is to go to YouTube and leave a comment on the last week's episode. I guess there wasn't one this week, so Spencer put something here. That's not true. I left
2: a comment on our parent.
0: Yeah. This yeah. is just
2: false. I used our parent company's YouTube to leave this comment. But actually, this was not last week. It was actually the week before. But I was really sick last week while we were recording. So I didn't have time to like bring it up. Cause I was gonna just throw up when recording last week's episode. I just wanna give you two a huge shout-out and Quentin a huge shout out that I was really sad to miss talking with somebody that I just consider like a big brother. And I honestly thought that it was like one of the best episodes of CC ever. And I definitely cried listening to you guys talk to Quentin about always improving. Um, One, Quentin is just like one of the most humble human beings I've ever met. He is uh, part of the testing team that we just organized today. You know, one of the number one things I told Quentin before coming on the episode is like, hey, we have this running joke where because you did well before Mason with Mason's List, that it's your list. And then the first thing he said on the show is that he just asks Mason for lists. And I was like, You betrayed me. Like you're a traitor. But honestly, like that's just the type of person that Quentin is. And the the way that you guys interacted with him. And honestly, like if Quentin could just replace me on this podcast, I think it would be a better podcast because of the way that you two interacted with him. Um, he was amazing and there's a world in which some certain life stuff doesn't happen and that this show is still Quentin and Spencer and hearing his success after coming back to magic, honestly, like just the way that you two talked to him was, it is my favorite episode of CC and it's probably because I wasn't on it, but like it, it meant a lot.
0: Awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed that show. And I hope the listeners got something from it too. Make sure to check out the rest of the network. you might get something from those shows as well. You want to check out Commonology, Popper Podcast, all about that format. You want to also check out Drafting Archetypes of Sam Black. It is a limited focus podcast. You want to check that one out as well. If you want to support the show, we talk about the Patreon and everything like that. But another way is to like Subscribe on YouTube, leave reviews, comments, and tell your friends about it. If you enjoyed the show and think they might get something from it, that's a great way to help us without having to give any dollars, and it's super helpful when it comes to the old metrics, and the metrics decide if we get pushed or not on the YouTubes. So that's awesome. If someone wants to find us, though, outside of the podcast, Spencer, where can they go to find you?
2: Yeah, I'm Spencer13H on Twitter. I do three podcasts. I do this one. I do the uh, smash through podcast once to month with Matt Kling. And then I do every other week need to nerd with Patty B and TG as well as now I do the, the commentary for the game grid Lehigh, our sponsors one K plus events. Um, and you can find those on my stream uh, at easy media on Twitch. Also, I saw the need for this after multiple people asked me and I'm finally doing it, but I am offering career coaching for specifically magic players. If you want it, the first session is free. The first session is just a review of your resume. It is completely free. The second session, which I believe is far more important, is LinkedIn coaching and then interview and career coaching after that. LinkedIn coaching costs $100 to be clear. It's pretty important. Uh, And then the prices will vary after that. But I think that one of the things that I can do to help magic players the most is to help them in their career. And the number of magic players that I see settling for things that they are far better than is way too much. You are smart enough, strong enough. I can help you with interviews. I can help you with a lot of stuff. But let's look at your resume and let's make sure that you're ready for it. I did get some stuff on magic coaching, but I would rather do this
1: first. So, hey, what about you? find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings still doing coaching for hammer time and for and all things pioneer so um yeah if you are looking for that you can you can reach out with a dm on twitter and uh we can
0: set something up. you can find me each every week here you can find me over at card kingdom writing about something going on in magic i believe this week it's also a pioneer to your list so uh you can expect that and list for everything you want to check that on out if you want to get coaching, I do offer coaching for all various things from 4 color, which is something that I get hit up a lot about. I do that as well as just general magic stuff. I will say, if you're looking for 4 color, my 95s won the last two energies back to back. You know, people just take my list and win. Card for card, they get the cyborg guy it goes well for them. You might want to consider doing that. So you want to check that out, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark and inquire about that or reach out to me via email at masoneclark at Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructed Custom. We'll see you all next week for another episode of CCMTG.